This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. You know, they're shining a light on the choices I made that worked out, right? The ones that turned out to be good ideas, but I really, really want everyone to know, especially young people, that the hundreds or thousands of dumb ideas that I've had are what led me to my good ideas. The way that the Recording Academy voted is a direct reflection of the passion of the fans. You have to give yourself permission to fail. So not only does she grace the cover of Rolling Stone when Grammys year after year, she impacts the global economy and has even thought to impact the US presidential election. University classes on her are now being taught all around the world. But... When Taylor Swift started out as a country singer over a decade ago, her fans were laughed at. Requests to have her played at nightclubs were ignored and in 2014 there were even accusations that Triple J refused to have her included in their hottest 100. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Swifty, a.k.a. Nick Healy, joining you from ABC <laughs> Shepparton. I don't know if you're really a Swifty, but, you know, you don't turn Taylor Swift off. Well, you don't turn Taylor Swift off. And enough of a Swifty to know that you forgot to mention she was tired person of the year that's another magazine cover a bit bigger than a magazine cover that she managed to take in and of course her uh, country music goes back way over a decade way over a decade i know i mean she what i feel like the majority of us if you're not a swifty we're playing catch up at the mm. moment because lover or hate her and i don't even think you can hate her that's the thing and that word is just such a gross word to use but there is something about her where i had this light bulb moment a couple of months ago where i thought we are living through a moment in history like we will talk about this you know when we're old and when we're grandparents saying oh my god remember the times when people were going insane trying to get taylor swift tickets and just that the madness the buzz that she created around the world so that recognition that we are living through something almost like dare i say nick healy the beatles Oh, look, absolutely, with the difference there that we are talking about, you know, a a woman in her 30s who is shaking up a music industry that has traditionally been incredibly difficult for people of her age and, 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 uh, you know, gender. She is genuinely carving a path that will change the way we look at that music industry and further afield as well. He touched on it, the election. There are conspiracy theories right now that the Super Bowl has been rigged so that Taylor Swift (laughs) can endorse a presidential candidate. This is how deep and ridiculous some of this animosity goes. Mm. And you don't get that level of animosity without the power, the fear of the power she holds. And I find that really intriguing. And also that she's still... So young, Nick, and yet she's oh. kind of having nostalgia albums. You know, she's going back to the best <laughs> ofs, and I'm like, oh my god, are you like sixteen? Even that is rewriting the rules to a large degree. And she's saying, no, I didn't get to do the album I wanted to do. The industry didn't let me make the album I wanted to make. I've got the power now. I'm going to do it. And the fans are rewarding her for it. Changing genres. Bits of the clips that we heard at the beginning was from an Innovators Award. I think it was from the iHeart group and it was for the... It was, yeah, it was the Innovators Award. And she said, well, thank you for letting me. She said, I don't consider myself an innovator, but it's my fans that let me do what I want to do. So even something like changing genres, starting out as a country artist and then going full-blown into pop. And a lot of what we will try and dissect today, and I love that we're dissecting something like a young female (laughs) artist that is having such global impacts, the role of her fans. And is that the key? Is that the key? Is it how she has treated her fans? Is it how her fans treat her? The, the impact of the Swifties, and you can say, is it the impact of Taylor Swift or the impact of the, on, of the Swifties on the global economy? 
Can you divorce the two? I mean, they are intrinsically linked, I think. Um, You know, it's not about whether they've given her power or whether she's given them a platform, but there's something incredible about the relationship between Taylor and those Swifties and her fans. Our number's 1300 774. Maybe you've been a Swiftie right from the beginning or maybe you're starting to find yourself bobbing along in the car and turning it up when you hear Taylor Swift on the radio. Maybe you work in economics. Maybe you have small businesses. Somehow Taylor Swift having an impact on you. Are we sharing a moment in history? What is it about Taylor Swift? is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. As we look at this moment in history, that is Taylor Swift. Texts already a bit embarrassing at my age, but I remember hearing Love Story on the radio and calling them to see who it was because I just loved it so much. I've been a Swifty ever since 16 years now and I'm 54, says this text, Nick. Look, I'm also noticing a few people saying, I turn Taylor off. She's too vanilla. Sorry, not interested in this. Turning off now. Shouldn't the ABC be a Taylor Swift free zone? Why? Why should the ABC? Why should we not talk about something this significant? Dr. Georgia Carroll is a researcher whose work explores fandoms and celebrity and wrote a PhD on Taylor Swift and joins us from our Sydney studios. Georgia, a warm welcome to the conversation now. Thanks so much for having me. And Dr. Anita Collins is an award-winning educator, a researcher and an author and joins us from our Canberra studios. So we have got Swift experts <laughs> dotted all around the country. Anita, a warm welcome back to the Conversation Hour as well. Thank you very much for having me. I don't know if I'm an expert. I'm a little concerned about that. Well, but I mean, <laughs> musically, this is where we're going to pull apart, you know, your mm. music brain and, and the impacts that she's having on young people potentially getting into the industry. But we'll get into that later. Mm. Georgia, to you first, you wrote a PhD on Taylor Swift. You're not the first and you probably won't be the last. But what was the reaction that you got from people when you said that you were doing a PhD on Taylor Swift? So I actually was the first to write an entire PhD specifically on Taylor. Um, There's been lots of work in the fan and celebrity studies field, like looking at celebrities more broadly and academics who also research Taylor, as we are seeing this week um, or early next week at the Swift Posium Conference down in Melbourne. Um, But when I began studying her in 2018, uh, everybody kind of laughed. They were they weren't so sure it was a serious area of study and uh, that there was enough value to get out of uh, researching Taylor and her fandom. But they uh, all of the haters have been proved very wrong with just how <laughs> relevant it has become, uh, you know, over the last six or seven months since her tickets went on sale in Australia. And I had people from my university and from my personal life messaging me going, oh, we get it now. We get why you wanted to study her. Uh, So, yeah, it was good timing on my end. Uh, Georgia, I'm really curious because 2018 feels very uh, well along in the Swift era. Like I I would have thought the writing would have been on the wall then that this was something worth looking at. But do you think looking at how she interacts with her fandom, she's doing anything different to other artists or is it just that she's doing it better? Oh, she's doing it very differently to others. And that's one of the reasons why she has had so much success. So from the very first days of her career, she's built this persona of herself as a best friend to her fans. And that has included doing things like handpicking them from social media to go to her house to celebrate early listening parties for her album, to meet her backstage, to really break down these barriers where, you know, she's historically sent fans presents in the mail with handwritten notes uh, to kind of foster this belief that she does know them and care about them on this one-to-one personal level. And no matter how kind of constructed and marketing fake that persona ultimately is, it works and it's worked for, you know, a decade and a half And it's what keeps the fans engaged and coming back. It's this hope that 
they too will be noticed by her and kind of be deemed worthy of her attention and have their love recognised. Dr Anita Collins, do, do you think that that's constructed and fake? Do you think that she is genuine when it comes to this? And is it something that you've witnessed before? If we think about fandom and there's lots of references here saying, how dare you compare her to the Beatles and others saying, mm. it's, she's not compared to the Beatles, compare her to Elvis. Mm. And those fans, like we saw Elvis fans, right? The images of girls fainting and all sorts of things and have we seen this before i i think we've seen this before but we've seen it in different ways and i think the is it fake is it not that's a very black and white way to look at something Mm. and i think it's very much about and and we've seen it with you know taylor's documentary um as well as you know watching ed sheeran's documentary there's a few people that have come out and have really dispelled the myth that what the person you see on stage who is performing and that is a different thing you are a different character a different part of yourself up on stage when you're performing and that there's part there's things that are behind the curtain that go on that that are your different version of yourself they're not fake necessarily but it's a sort of an understanding that performing brings out a certain part of you and she Taylor does such an amazing job at holding a character when she's on stage you know the way she walks everything she does is is you can tell it's her the way Sheeran performs you know it's absolutely how he moves he feels very comfortable with himself but there's also another person behind that so I think for me, and I look on the outside of it, fascinating to do a PhD on it, but how, um, from the outside of it to watch someone who is a young and developing creator, and she's not just a singer-songwriter, she's a creator. And mm. I think it's so important to remember that, that she's putting that into film, she's putting that into business, she's putting that into her era's show. That's that's a creation of of something entirely different. It's not just her there and everyone's running around in amazing costumes. She's been part of the the genesis of that to, mm. to create it. So I think it's not a fake part. I just, I think watching her journey go through and she's been generous to share that part of her, parts of her journey of her life when she's been ready to and in a way that makes sense to her. And I think that genuineness is a lot of what we lack Sometimes in one, when we see the insta-perfect version of somebody, she's actually countering that and part of how she relates to fans. I th- for my personal opinion is part of it is incredibly genuine because it's her fans who not saved her but I think propelled her through the period of time when she lost ownership of her music mm-hmm. and she spent a very, very long period of time in self-reflection and understanding who she was as she's growing in, you know, as an artist and a woman and then she's gone, okay, how am I going to approach this? And everything's following that very strong through line between within her. And I think part of that is definitely how she treats the fans. She genuinely likes them and she genuinely goes, everyone has a right to their opinion. If it's not the same as mine, that's perfectly okay. So I think it's a broader picture mm. of the person, not just the Taylor phenomenon. That might be the perfect version. I, I like to look at it as a, an artist, um, as someone who's developing and someone who is going through and navigating life just we, like we all have to. Anita, I want to come back to this idea of her being a, a creator and the way you've termed it, but we've got mm-hmm. Natalie on the line from South Melbourne. Natalie, you actually took your daughter to a Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, I did. How are you going? So, um, yeah, back in 2015, so my daughter was only six at the time. So it was her 1989 tour, I think, at the time. Um, and I got her tickets and I thought, oh, where am I going with a six-year-old? I was never really a Taylor. <laughs> I was definitely not a Taylor fan, definitely not my style of music. Um, so I took her to the concert. It was phenomenal. Mm. And since that day, it I'm just, yeah, I'm a bit like my daughter now. She's, my daughter's still obsessed with her. She's 15. Um, and, yeah, to watch this woman on stage, you realise how musically talented she is. She dances, she plays piano, she sings. She's just, you you get converted when you watch her yeah. live, basically. <laughs> Natalie, it's funny, right, because I, amongst thousands of people around the world tried to get Taylor Swift tickets. And you know what? Not because my daughter, who's 10, is a major Swifty, but I honestly believed, I thought, I feel like if we can, this is something we should witness, like that we could and should 
be a part of if we have the privilege to be able to afford it and if you're lucky enough to get through yeah. that god-awful system that they have to try <laughs> to get tickets. Don't even get me started. Oh. But did it feel like you were witnessing something it, that will be compared and discussed and analysed like we are today? Yeah, absolutely. Like my daughter, I mean, like I said, she was six at the time and she just still talks about that concert. She even remembered what her opening song was and what she was wearing. And I was just like, oh, my God, how do you even remember that? Um, but, yeah, her show is just incredible. And I think this one will just blow it completely out of the water. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you might be right there. Absolutely. Natalie, thank you so much. I've got a text in here that says, my problem with Taylor Swift is there's nothing original about her music. It's standard stuff. I don't know why people are finding it inspiring. Peter from Ballarat. Peter, you do actually, well, I guess, recognise her talent as a songwriter, as a creator. Yeah, morning. <clears throat> um, so as a... 59 year old, tell you what I'm going to say is going to get your switchboard lit up. As a, as a 59 year old, you know, stale, pale, all that, um, I'm hardly the demographic, yeah, but, and, and I don't go out of my road to listen to her music. Mm. I listen to radio occasionally and, and she bobs up, but I can recognize her talent. She is a genius. Um, that, I think you had a text a bit earlier mentioning the song Love Story. That is as clever mm. lyricist, lyrically, that as, and yeah, I've listened to a heck of a lot of music in my life and, and the, you know, the, the, the greats and the classics and all that sort of thing. And, and she's a phenomenal talent. And, and So when you tell who, your mates this, Peter, have you admitted this? <laughs> I mean, you're admitting it on public radio, yeah, obviously. No, no, yeah, that doesn't worry me in the slightest because I've got a pretty broad range of yeah. the sorts of things that I listen to. I, I, look, as I said, I don't necessarily go out and buy mm. CDs or I don't have a Taylor Spotify playlist, but I'm perfectly happy to listen to her stuff because she actually is seriously clever. And, and the idea that people poo-poo her and, oh, it's just all vanilla and it's, you know, you can't compare her with, say, Elvis or the Beatles. Or I tell you, she leaves Elvis in the dust as far as Taylor is concerned. Oh, now um, you're going to get those phone cards going. <laughs> Peter, I love that. And I had someone refer to Taylor Swift songwriting, which I know we're going to pull apart with Dr Anita Collins in just a moment as well. Dr Georgina Carroll is with you as well as we look at what is it about Taylor Swift. But I had a colleague say, you know, she went down a Taylor Swift rabbit hole and a lot of what people were touching on is her lyrics and the way she writes for her age demographic. It's like reading your own diary from when you were, say, 14 or 15 and the way she just speaks openly and honestly about life. This is just one of her songs. It's actually called 15 as well when we talk about sort of writing for her age and for her demographic. This is 15. You sit in class next to redhead and Abigail soon have your best friends Laughing at the other girls who think they're so cool We'll be out of here as soon as we Dr. Anita Collins, award-winning educator, researcher and author, is with you, as is Dr. Georgina Carroll, a researcher whose work explores fandoms and celebrity and wrote the first PhD on Taylor Swift. Anita, this is all about being 15, talking about being in the classroom. It took me back, right? Straight away, I was that 15-year-old sitting in class worrying about what the girls were thinking about me and maybe the boy that I liked. How is it that she just touches that reality of day-to-day life. Is that what makes her songwriting so good? Yeah, I think it is. I think she's, um, again, from what I observe and and what I'm taking away from her, she's a very... um, she, She uses all of her senses, which is what many, many artists do, but she can place herself back in a period of time 
and she can talk about it in a way that of that inner monologue that what exactly what you were thinking when you were 15 and what's going through your head and she can tap back into that at any age but what I've noticed is interesting musically is she's very good at setting you up in a yes this is how I'm feeling but then she gives you a tiny little word or a line which speaks to um, the fact that she's looking back on it, this in, in in a retrospective and yeah, going, actually, and no, okay. it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think that's the part that she, a lot of people, especially say take a 15-year-old, is living in that space, having that inner monologue, and then suddenly they're giving a line or a word that twists it to say, yeah, but hang on, five years down the track, ten years down the dra- track, <gasps> it's going to be different, it's going to be okay. That's and that's where the... <laughs> Yeah, well, wow. that's where the emotional trigger goes. Yeah. So you emotionally trigger to that moment that this too will pass, everything will be okay. She's also incredibly good at, I don't know if you've noticed, but she picks, when she writes her melodies, the words that need to resonate with someone or are the most emotive to an emotion, she often has them as longer notes. So she holds onto that one for longer. So she actually, I think there's a trigger in there which emotionally makes us sort of dive into the song and dive into the emotion and go, yes, I'm in here and I can feel it just like you can. And that's where that sense of friendship and the sense of we're in this together and the sense is I'm with you. That best friend. And this I think may, and it'd be great to hear what what is thought about, but the idea of, of being in that fandom is we're in this together and you're here for me because you've been through this and you're letting me know that it's going to be all right. So I think there's a lot, I think as a lyricist, she's, quite extraordinary and, and she's talked a lot about how interested she is in literature and she reads enormous amount as well and then when she collaborates particularly on the music she she's very good at getting what's called a hook <laughs> and the hook is that little um, earworm that stays in your head and you keep repeating mm. over and over again so she's got all the elements of very good music she taps into the person who is listening and she taps into their emotional being at a given time or if you're thinking back on it. And then she does it in such a way that you are entertained but also it sparks what's called your reward network in your brain which goes, huh. this is making me feel better, which all music does. Um, and that makes you listen to the song again or to more songs on the album. So there's so many elements that she's kind of just dialed wow. in to yeah. create the art that she creates. However, that's also evolving. So she has these really different standout songs that she's going, I'm going to push the boundary on this one. And she's so, um, it's so important for her to allow herself to fail. And I think it said it in the beginning. It says, you've got to let yourself fail. And so she's going, I'm going to try this. It might not work, but that's perfectly okay. Anita and Georgia, just hang on to that thought for a little bit because Julia Baird, a journalist, writer, of course, uh, former host of The Drum, waiting patiently on the line. Julia, good morning. Good morning. It's me. You found a very unusual, I think, um, uh, confluence with, um, I I guess, Taylor Swift and her love of cats. I know. I had almost forgotten I had written this piece. I sent it to (laughs) Widely to my daughter going, look. I was there so long ago. Um, yeah, it was about it was about the way she was kind of constantly talking about cats, her love of cats, posting about cats, and kind of challenging <laughs> the stereotype of the sad cat lady. I loved it. I loved it for it. That idea of challenging the stereotype, and when you look at, I mean, let's face facts, she's a a good looking, marketable young woman, and that, on part, is a part of her success. But quite often it can work against you, especially when we're talking about something like feminism and the role that you're playing, the way that people perceive you, the stereotype that that you may fall into. Julia, where do you see her in terms of being a feminist or a feminist figure for not just young women, but for young men as well at the moment? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point to say, like, she's look, she's really attractive, she's beautiful, like, and often that works against you. I mean, that is part of her point surely yeah. like like think of a man do, do we say jacob alordi he's so good looking and that's really got to be a burden people must really hate him for it it's it's definitely part of the gender lens by which we view success for women it's like you can't be everything you have to be beautiful but if you're beautiful it's a problem um look i think her feminism is is completely fascinating it's developed over time she has of course been criticized for that for being kind of white beautiful mm. Um, for not sufficiently diverse. She's now got more diverse backup um, dancers uh, and, her, you know, it's not been 
particularly intersectional. But I've seen what the impact that she has on women, and I think it's amazing in terms of marking as important their emotional terrain, as well as being incredibly financially successful herself. But she doesn't talk down to people. She, they, they all relate to her wildly because on some levels, as you're saying, she's really unrelatable because she's got so much. <laughs> um, but they, they feel that she really kind of speaks to them and for them. And I really noticed this with my daughter, with her going through breakups. And she's 17 now. And we spent a lot of COVID going for long drives when we couldn't go out anywhere. And we would just listen to Taylor Swift. Wow. And I realized how much that was kind of mimicking a lot of her life, in, you know, internally. And how em- emboldened and hurt she felt as a consequence of that. And I think that's just remarkable. Julia Baird, thank you this morning. You know, I'll say as a, a resident crazy cat gentleman, I, I've also found it quite lovely <laughs> her work with her, <laughs> her Scottish fold. But Julia Baird, thank you very much. Dr. Georgia Carroll, I'm seeing texts coming in. There's some interesting angles in here. Someone saying, I'd like her to reveal herself. She feels overly manufactured and controlled. Um, someone sarcastically saying, wow, she sings and plays piano. I cannot imagine a male artist being put under so much scrutiny. They're not real enough. No one's really worried about whether Ed Sheeran's true to himself. What's Taylor Coppett? I think it's been interesting because for a lot of people, she is still viewed as the teenage girl singing about too many ex-boyfriends. And I think it's only in the past year we've seen more people come around to the realization that she is actually you know a powerful businesswoman in her 30s but I think a a lot of it is just you know sexism dismissal um the idea that she is a billionaire and therefore is only putting on an act to make money um and you know she doesn't reveal her entire self as um Anita was saying earlier and everything she does do is extremely contrived not contrived like it's very uh it's it's an orchestrated act, yeah orchestrated and she receives valid criticism for that like the other day mm. she didn't um she didn't thank uh Celine Dion when she got the <laughs> Grammy and then 5 minutes later um, she had a photo with her um, shared on social media because her team knew that the criticism was coming and they had to immediately shut it down. And her fans then used that photo to shut down anybody that dared wow. speak out but against her. But when you her. look at the entourage behind huge celebrities over the years, and this is something that we'll pull apart with Anita in just a moment too, when you look at the ownership of music, when you look at the managers, the, the business that is stardom, that can either go very, very well for the artist or it can go very, very badly as well. So you have to select the right people to ensure your longevity, your own mental health as an artist as well, because we have seen time and time again that it really just hasn't worked out for people. So that within itself is incredible. Dr. Georgina Carroll is with you, as is Dr. Anita Collins. Georgia is a researcher working and looking into the areas of fandom and celebrity. And Anita Collins, an award-winning educator, researcher and author. As we pull apart today, this history-making moment that is Taylor Swift. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is The Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt here with you and Melbourne Nikhili joining you from ABC. <laughs> Shepparton, we have got people dotted all across the country at the moment. Dr Georgina Carroll is joining you from our Sydney studios. Dr Anita Collins joining you from our Canberra studios. Before we talk about the economics, let's make a comparison here and probably not musically but when we talk about it as a business and longevity of a career Anita I want to draw a comparison to Britney Spears mm-hmm. and when we looked at how her money was controlled, how her business was controlled, starting at a really young age and how that can go incredibly pear-shaped for people. Where is Taylor Swift at there in terms of being in control of this empire that she's created? Mm, it's it's so hard to know from the outside. Um, but I think there are a number of examples. You know, there's 
and and a lot of them have bought out documentaries or books recently. So we're sort of seeing into the inside of what is it that they their perception of what happened and what they experienced. We've always got to remember that. But I think there's a part where these incredibly young up and coming artists are signed when they're even mid teenagers, and they're being taken care of by others who are in the industry, whether they're relations like mums and dads or whether they're also managers as well. And I think it is incredibly difficult for those artists at that point to know what they're signing, to know what the long-term ramifications of that might be, to still be growing up as people into their not even quite adult selves yet. There's so much going on and yet they're very good at doing this thing about making music and, and pulling in fans and selling albums and all those sorts of things. And I think one thing that I'm watching with interest with Taylor is then going, okay, what does it mean to own what you make? Because she's had a situation where it's her first six albums were then taken away from her and owned mm-hmm. by someone else and she's making what is such an interesting step to then go, well, if I made them once, I can make them again. Yeah. And what do I need to support in that? But incredible? she's also, speaking before, like you said, she's surrounded, and I think a lot of these people have surrounded themselves with either the people that have taken advantage of that situation and they also the artists themselves hasn't coped very well, or then they've, they've gone, no, the people who are around me are really, really important. And that's a part of the Taylor machine that I don't believe I've seen yet, which is who is around her supporting her, guiding her, making her vision real because she has to have a very big group around her to do that. But she's kind of come out of that being signed at an incredibly young age, Mm. being manipulated and changed and and her art being taken away from her and then going, hang on, I need to take not only myself back but I need to take my art back as well. And in the time of AI and the time of the ability to create songs from beginning to end just by giving a prompt (laughs) to something, um, I think that journey is going to become even more important but even more the evolution of that person because there is only one Taylor Swift and you know, it's her journey to go on and she speaks and writes and performs about that journey of life. Yeah, and she does that so well. There are so many texts that it's such a shame that we physically cannot read them all out. I'm just (laughs) trying to nearly pull some out that really stand out. This is from Simon, who's in Geelong. It says, hey, guys, as a 46-year-old father of six Swifties, I dated for the first time post-marriage last year and I was broken up with. Since then, I've been listening to Taylor Swift, especially Love Story, Cruel Summer. It's absolutely destroyed me emotionally in a way because I can't <laughs> stop listening to I feel like Cruel Summer is being sung to me, about mm. me, and I'm an old man. <laughs> Taylor is a star performer, a master businesswoman, incredible strategist, and I, for one, cannot wait to go to her concert next week. I love everything about that text. I love that so much. And we've got another Simon on the text line saying, I'm a 55-year-old man and I love Taylor Swift, mainly because she's had those ultra-right conservatives tearing their hair out. There's conspiracy theories about her and her boyfriend, uh, Travis Kelsey. They are disgusting, says Simon. They're scared. She's a powerful woman and it's great. (laughs) Well, no one's off limits when it comes to being asked questions about Taylor Swift and especially her (laughs) impact on the economy. All cameras, I think as many journos as possible, were at the first announcement of whether or not interest rates were going to go up and it was the first announcement from our newly appointed uh, Reserve Bank Governor. She was asked about Taylor Swift and her impact on the economy and this is what she said. On Taylor Swift tickets, I'd say that uh, from my own experience is that... um uh, my kids uh, put money away to do it. They, they forewent other things in order to be able to afford uh, Taylor Swift. So I think there's also um, issues. People are deciding what's really important to them and what's not as important to them. And clearly a lot of people, Taylor Swift is very important. Joey Maloney is the econ- an economist with the Grattan and Grattan Institute. Joey, did you ever think in your life as an economist that you would... <laughs> That you would, in all seriousness, right, not after a couple of beers at the pub by, you know, a mate that's had too many, be asked about the impact of Taylor Swift on the economy and have quite an astounding response to that? 
Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for having me. The answer to your question is no. So when this got put on my radar, I was like, wow, this is a serious cultural phenomenon. And, and I'll admit, it's one that's sort of passed a bit over my head. But having talked to a couple of my colleagues here that are mad Swifties, I've sort of come to grips with the magnitude of this cultural phenomenon. And it's really quite mind-blowing, some of the numbers at stake here. What are those numbers in that case, Joey? Well, so I've seen that the tour is expected to gross over $1 billion worldwide, which is the first tour expected to gross over $1 billion. I've seen some estimates of the economic impact, but I don't want to be a wet blanket here. Mm. But there are reasons to be a little bit sceptical of those numbers. Like Michelle Bullock was saying, a lot of people are moving money around to make this work. To, you know, and and the, a lot of the ticket sales, in fact, all of the ticket sales, that's an import, so that's money that goes overseas. There's probably some extra expenditure coming through tourism dollars of people travelling around the country or people coming to Australia to see the concert. But I think a key point I really want to make is that, you know, as economists, we sometimes get fixated on the numbers of dollars being spent. But what I'm really focused on is what are people's living standards like? Are people enjoying their life? So the question in my mind is, well, regardless of how much money is being spent, how much enjoyment are Australians getting from seeing Taylor Swift live? heart in an economist. <laughs> you are a very rare economist, Joey. I'm very impressed by this. I Just love on that, that travel side of it, we did have a text earlier from Anna saying, as the mum of a young Swifty, we're travelling from Hong Kong to Melbourne mm. for this concert. Um, it's an amazing milestone. I want to do it with my daughter. So we are seeing some of that travel, but it's really interesting that you say the on-flowing effect of people's goodwill can be an important measurement. I mean, I almost feel like we're, we're talking Bhutan and their gross national happiness now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And believe it or not, this is a real concept in economic theory. It's it called consumer surplus. And it's the difference between the amount someone is willing to pay for something and the amount that they actually pay. And it's what it's supposed to tell you is that basically what's the net benefit that someone gets from buying a particular good or service. And so my guess is that the in aggregate, the consumer surplus that Australians are getting from this Taylor Swift tour would be a sight to behold. It would be in the billions. I asked a couple of people, how much did you pay for your ticket? How much would you have been willing to pay? Hundreds of dollars of difference. So quite clearly, this is something that is improving the lives of Australians, which is probably yes. what ultimately matters here. Well, and you're also talking about the, the well-being economy, which a few years ago we kind of laughed at the well-being economy and thought it was all, you know, nung shomper and sarongs. But that's actually now something that is genuinely being used uh, by our very own politicians and those that are in power at the moment. But... Joey Maloney, one thing I find fascinating, in Victoria anyhow, it seems like forever we haven't really appreciated the impact that the arts in general brings to our economy. We talk about sport like it's without sport our economy would fall over and we'd all be stuffed but in actual fact it's the arts and music in particular generates more money in this state than sport. Are we slowly waking up to the the financial benefits that the arts can bring? It's a really interesting question. And look, on, on the one hand, I hope so, because I think, you know, anything that focuses people's attention on the benefits of broader cultural consumption, to use a slightly alienating term, is a good thing. But I think, you know, this is, this is one part where I feel like the economics framework can get us a little bit of the way, but not all the way. And so when I see... We, you know, sort of arguments along the lines of we should value the arts because it brings economic benefit X, Y, Z. My first reaction is similar to what I've been saying about the Taylor Swift to it is, well, we should value it because it's valuable, mm. because it brings value to people. It brings meaning to their lives. And I think that's, that's the key thing. If we, if we only did things that had a positive business case, I think we'd be a poorer society for it. I'm sounding very uneconomist right now. I know, I know, and I love every part about that. And I think we have to think like that a little bit, you know, like we absolutely do. It's And that when music, when we talk about, well, it's because it hits our emotions and it makes us feel good. That's part of what's driving up the economy. The fact that going to this concert, listening to her music makes people happy. It's exactly right. You know, like ultimately... 
I'm, I'm in economics because I feel like, you know, economic policy is a really important uh, framework to try to improve people's living standards. I'm less interested in just having people spend money and there being money made. I'm really just ultimately interested in mm. uh, people enjoying their lives. And that's the, that's the framework I'm looking at the Taylor Swift tour with. Joe Maloney, thank you so much. Joey's an economist with the Grattan Institute. What are you thinking at the moment? Have you changed your mind about Taylor Swift over the years? Have you become a late adopter? Did you hear it early and dismiss her a bit and then come on board? Were you someone who loved her earlier and her fandom, her fame has turned you off a little bit? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is The Conversation Hour. Say you Michelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you as we pull apart this moment in history that is Taylor Swift. This, we just paid three grand per ticket. Three grand per ticket via a broker as we missed out via the usual means. We'll forego and overseas holidays next year, exclamation point. Gosh, I hope those tickets are real. And this, it says, yep, the entertainment industry does so much to sustain the economy. But until we find a way to incorporate gambling into it, the arts will never get the same same value and recognition as sport, in brackets, sarcasm. Oh, we have some very funny listeners. Peter's in Croydon. Morning, Peter. Yeah, hi. What did you want to say? Yeah, look, um, Taylor Swift is such a phenomenon because she's so inaccessible. I mean, if she was, if she had a genuine feeling towards the fans, she'd make sure that more of them could get to see a show. I refuse to let my kids pay $800 for a ticket. I mean, they went through the whole One Direction phenomenon and, you know, we've never paid anything like that for a ticket and we won't. And people paying $3,000, this is why she's a marketing guru. You know, it's supply and demand. Good on you, Peter. Great to hear from you. Andrea's in Ocean Grove. Morning, Andrea. Good morning. How are you? Well, what did you want to add? Oh, I'm 55, and so I came to Taylor Swift when she put out the uh, eight, uh, eight, was it 1989 concert because my niece, who's now 22, her and I decided that was going to be our thing that we did. So she, for us, when Taylor Swift tickets came out this time, it was like, oh, my God, I'll get you tickets. And we have. We've got, we're going both nights um, because that's what we do. So we decided that when, any, when anything happens, that's our, that's our intergenerational topic that we can talk about. So things like... Uh, we talked about Midnight Rain as a song being she chose her career over a boy, you know. So that's quite topical for someone like my niece who just finished her nursing. Does she do this for herself or just, you know, there's those sorts of conversations we have over mm. a song. You know, the man, you know, if she was a man in a man's world, what does that mean for a 22-year-old in the mm. world today versus a 55-year-old having lived through, you know. Yeah, like, I think we still connect. Oh, you guys are going to have the best time. I love it. Andrea, thank you very much. Jim in South Melbourne. Jim, do you, do you think Taylor Swift is a positive force? Uh, she must be. She must be. <laughs> having listened to this, uh, <laughs> I, I, I am not a Taylor Swift fan. Not, not because I just don't listen to that this sort of music. However, having said that, and my granddaughter having been through the first concert when she was six years old, and now we, we look like a, a, a call centre trying to get tickets for her. And, uh, you know, uh, it's got to be a positive. It is a positive. I, I think, you know, uh, uh, she's a creative genius. What can I say? Oh, Jim, thank you so much. I think anything that makes us feel happy at the moment, you've got to just take as a win. Dr. Georgia Carroll is with you. She's joining us from our Sydney studio. She's a researcher who explores fandom and celebrity and wrote the first PhD on Taylor Swift. Dr. Anita Collins is also with you in our Canberra studios, award-winning educator, researcher and author. There's this text here that says, Rish and Nick loving this lively, intelligent look at Taylor Swift. I'm 70 and 
and I am fascinated by the social and cultural trends and power dynamics that is all her. Her lyrics and her actions, uh, she's a great role model. I can't stop singing anti-hero myself. That's from Heather <laughs> in Sydney. Also, Nick, thank you for your wonderful stint during summer and I concur oh. Oh, with that. Thanks. Absolutely. When we speak about lyrics, I mean, I've just been dying to play this, right? Would you just made me don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. I'll be the Dr. Anita Collins, when we talk about her lyrics and her connection, how calculated are some of those hooks that you were talking about before? That's not new, is it? Or is she redoing it, reworking it in some way? No, it's not new at all. Um, Every artist has different types of hooks and and one of the funny things about music and and you can't ever tell a hit, you can't even tell what's going to be a hook. You might love it as an artist and it just falls flat with the audience or you might as an artist go, oh, it's okay, and then the audience just, you know, jumps onto it and particularly if it becomes one of those pieces of music that gets used on Instagram, suddenly everybody's listening to it and everyone loves it. So it's not new at all. I think um, it's really the collaboration that she has with the people who um, do the music with her as well really understand how to make that resonate but... Even having watched her a little bit in her creative process through her documentary, it's just an interesting way that she clicks onto it and she writes very, very quickly um, for many of her songs. So it's the hook comes into her head. She truly does create and then she she maximises that as much as she possibly can and it's, it's, you know, we've had lots of different artists that do it. She just has a way that, as I said, gets into your head and it's an earworm mm. and you can't mm. get it out, so then you want to listen to it again because that's actually a way to get rid of an earworm is to listen <laughs> to it from beginning to end. So she's she's sort of just, as I said, it's a, it's absolutely a formula, but it's a formula that keeps evolving with her. Georgia, I just want to talk about sort of uh, back on that fan side, back on the Swifties. I've been off uh, Twitter for a little while now. I managed to wean myself off it finally. But there was a bit of truism. You don't get on the bad side of the Swifties. It's a very active fandom. It's a very vocal fandom. Is there a risk that they are stifling genuine critiques in some way? I think there is. They won't because one of the most powerful things and this was one of the clearest themes that came out of my research is to Taylor Swift fans the number one most important part of their fandom is supporting Taylor that's Mm. supporting her reputation that's supporting her loved ones that's why we saw um, support and financial uh, support of the Kansas City Chiefs skyrocket after (laughs) she announced she was dating uh, Travis Kelsey and it's um, you know supporting her across time and so for these fans as soon as they see somebody what do what they deem to be an unfair critique of her, they will swarm. And that's partially because Taylor Swift's team do not reward you if you criticise her. And it's a known fact within the fandom that if you ever want to meet Taylor, you have to have been not only um, not only online and talking about her, but actively and vocally calling out other people and showing wow. your love for what her. What a business model. Yeah, and they have trained her, they've trained their fandom to behave that way over the past decade and a half, and it is very effective. The other thing that I find effective, and this probably doesn't impact Taylor Swift in any way, but when we talk talk about the fans uh, and you know we were talking about the well-being economy and when Joey Maloney from the Grattan Institute was talking about you know how can you put a value on what makes us feel good I have witnessed so my daughter for example kind of doesn't mind Taylor Swift doesn't care that she's really not going to the concert but her and her friends have been making the Swifty friendship bracelets wow and just not even really about Taylor Swift they've just been making nice things for their friends and passing them on and 
doing something that we were doing in the 80s, which was making friendship bracelets. And they were really important to us in the 80s. We loved our friendship bracelets. We wore them until they went mouldy on your skin and your mum would be like, that thing stinks, take it off. (laughs) Like there is the on flow impacts of the fandom and the fans and the Swifties, I find fascinating, Georgia. Yeah, they there are so many amazing, healthy things that come out of um, fandom. We also often talk about extreme fans, but for most people, fandom is just an amazing way to build your identity and build your real-world uh, social relationships. And, you know, the friendship bracelets are a, a great way to see that. And I actually use the lyric um, about friendship bracelets that she does. I uh, was invited to give the Year 12 speech at my old high school, and I used that lyric um, to demonstrate the just the way that we should be, you know, living lives, you know, make friends, enjoy the moment. Um, it's all going to be okay. And that's kind of the ultimate message that Taylor shares with her fans and helps them connect with their friends and, you know, connect with her music. And, um, you know, at the Swift Posium Academic Conference we're having next week, we're going to be making friendship bracelets. And it's become <laughs> this really great way to just kind of have an instant connection. And at the concerts, you're never really going to see the person's standing next to you again but you're having this amazing emotional experience this once in a lifetime experience and that swapping of the friendship bracelets that the fans partake in is a way to kind of solidify that and come away with a souvenir and kind of a memory of I was there it was amazing now I have this to look at every single time and it's ultimately quite free you have to pay for the for the materials but compared to you know buying a hoodie that's a hundred (laughs) dollars exactly it makes it affordable yeah we just quickly want to have a chat to tom in northgate if you're quick tom what did you want to add i i look mark got two young daughters seven and nine and and they're both taylor swift fans but i'm 42 and i'm a massive coldplay fan um (laughs) and we missed out on the taylor swift tickets but we got we got to see coldplay in perth earlier this year wasn't wasn't very expensive, if not for the flights and the accommodation to get there, I suppose. But um, for that money, we just had the most amazing night. Yeah. Um, you know, all the lights and the production value, all of us just dancing around up the back of general yeah. admission. We had lots of people coming up to us saying, you know, how we just looked so happy and and we we're having the best time. I, I, I think that was probably just you know, I speaking love to that time. And they're the things that you remember. Was. You know, how you feel and yeah. how happy you are. This final text is from Christy in Sunshine. What a perfect place for her to live because it says, her music hits our hearts so deeply. There is not many things that give us joy and help us connect with ourselves. I saw G Flip, for example, twice last year. It was an absolute highlight of my year. Music is healing and we all need more healing. I feel like we've just kind of touched the surface oh, on this. I barely scratched it. Dr. Georgia Carroll, researcher who did the first PhD on Taylor Swift. Best of luck with the Swift Posium that we know is being put on by Melbourne University. Thank you so much for your time today. And Dr. Anita Collins as well. Thank you so much for spending time with us this hour talking all things Taylor Swift. Are you going to go away and listen to some Taylor? I am. I am going to do it. And I completely forgot to mention one of the biggest impacts of Taylor Swift. The Australian Dairy Conference had to move its dates in Melbourne to accommodate Taylor Swift. (laughs) So uh, clearly, I mean, it's just, it's affecting all elements of industry. Nick Healy, thank you so much. Anytime. We we don't have tickets to Taylor Swift, but we were able to relish in everything that she (laughs) does today. Don't forget the Conversation Analysis podcast. I'll be back with you tomorrow.